This morning we are continuing our series on Satan. This is actually message number four. We have two more in this series. So this morning I would invite you to join me in your Bibles or on your electronic devices in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 984. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 13 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Follow along as I read. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Winston Churchill wrote in his biography of the Duke of Marlborough, he said, great battles won or lost change the entire course of events, create new standards of values, new moods, new atmospheres in armies and in nations to which all must conform. Wars can change the course of history and great battles often decide wars. That's been true in many wars in the world's history. The Battle of Waterloo, where Napoleon was defeated. The Battle of Yorktown during the Revolutionary War. The Battle of Antietam during the Civil War. And the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, in the World War II, all of those were decisive battles that turned the wars. This morning, we are going to look at a decisive battle that takes place upon the cross. You'll remember, we've been examining for the last two weeks, back in Genesis chapter 3, when man fell into sin, the statement that was made by God that he would put enmity, he would make a war, it would be a blood feud between Satan and the woman, between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring, and ultimately there is coming one from the seed of woman, a person, he says, he shall crush, speaking to Satan, he shall crush your head and you will bruise his heel. This morning we are going to look at the cross where the head of Satan was crushed 
On that cross, Jesus conquered sin. He reconciled sinners to God. He satisfied the justice of God. He paid the full debt of sin. He conquered death. He opened heaven. Everything that needed to happen redemptively for mankind happened at the cross. It was an absolute crushing blow to Satan. And for all of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we participate in that victory that Jesus has won. The first thing that I want us to see and understand this morning is that the cross was a place of conflict, a place of conflict. Now, as I've been reading, there are those who will say that Satan worked to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Uh, I don't quite understand their logic in that. I know that there were attempts, as we saw last week, of Satan to put Jesus to death during his earthly life. But I'm going to suggest to you from the scriptures this morning that Satan is one that is behind the cross. In John chapter 13, in verse 27, we're going to see that it's Satan who enters into Judas. Listen to what it says. Then after he had taken the morsel, they're sitting at the table. Jesus has revealed that one of his disciples is going to betray him. And he tells them, it will be the one who takes the bread that he dips into the wine the one who takes that will be the one that will betray me. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Speaking of Judas, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. So it is Satan entering into Judas. Secondly, the cross is the power of darkness. At this place of conflict, Jesus says the cross shows the power of darkness. Luke 22, verses 52 to 53. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple, the elders who would come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. Now listen to this. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. The cross reveals the power of darkness. The third thing underneath the cross being a place of conflict is the, the cross renders a decisive victory. In John chapter 12, in verses 27 to 33, Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. 
Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The cross renders a decisive victory. At the cross, the head of Satan is crushed. So let's look at the cross and what's happening there. First of all, the cross provides salvation. Get it in verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Let's talk about that for a second. You. That will address everyone that's here as well. It's Paul's writing to those in Colossae. He says, you... What were they? They were dead. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. Remember the confrontation that took place in the garden? Satan is talking to Eve. And Satan outright denies the word of God. God had told man... The day that you eat of that fruit, what would happen to them? They would die. And literally the tense is, you will, dying you shall die. They died immediately, spiritually. And the process of death set in upon them physically. Man is dead in his trespasses and sins. That has been passed on to every one of us. We are sinners at birth. We are conceived in iniquity, the Bible says. We come into this world as sinners. We are guilty of sin. And we show that we are sinners the first chance that we get, right? None of us had to teach our children to sin, did we? We didn't have to teach them to lie. We didn't have to teach them to steal. We didn't have to teach them to be disrespectful to their parents. Uh, They kind of had that down, right? That's because they are born that way as sinners. We come into this world dead in our trespasses and in our sins. You may wonder, what is he saying there in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He's talking to Gentiles there. For Jewish people, the mark of being God's people was circumcision. So to the Gentiles, he is saying, as a sign of that, you were not included in the commonwealth of God's people. That's shown by the fact that Gentiles are uncircumcised. So he's just relating again to people to all mankind, that apart from Jesus Christ, we are in our sins and we have trespassed against a holy God. 
But notice what he says. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. That's the beauty of the gospel. When we believe, we are made alive. When we believe, we become spiritual beings. You know, what was lost in the garden is put back into place, and we are brought into right relationship with God. We are made alive. And that can only happen because of the cross. He goes on and he says, all of our trespasses and sins are forgiven. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Everything that we have done against God, we're forgiven of it all. Actually, the word that is used here for forgiven is a form of the word from which we get the word grace. Unmerited favor with God. It is given to us. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. It is just freely given to us. We are forgiven there at the cross. Christ's death on the cross opens the way for us to be forgiven. And as God's children, we're going to see here what all happens there as far as our sins being forgiven. He says that the record of our debt is canceled. Look at that in verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, the actual word in the Greek for this, canceling the record, it's the handwriting of our debt. When a criminal was paying the penalty for his sin, they would write out his offense. So there would be a record of the offense. Now, notice the wording here that Paul uses. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Canceling the record. The idea there, there's a beautiful word picture that we lose in the English here, but would be understood in the ancient world. The canceling of our debt means the total erasure of it. It is wiped clean. See, in those days when they would write, they did not have paper like we have today. They would write on papyrus or they would write on animal skins. The ink that they used in those days had no acid in it. So when they wrote with their ink, that ink did not bind itself to the papyrus or to the animal skin that it was written on. And because how expensive paper was, often they would take these Animal skins, you know, imagine, you know, we have paper, it seems, you know, as much as we can want, very cheap, but they didn't have that. So these animal skins and this papyrus was very valuable. And so they would write on it and they would reuse it 
again and again. So what they would do is they would take and they would wash it. And when they washed it, it totally removed all the ink that was previously upon that document. That's what Jesus did for us. Our sins, the record of our sins that is written out, he takes and wipes it completely clean. He cancels the record of our debt. Think of the beauty of that picture. Here are the charges against us. He wipes them clean. And then notice, he goes on and says, by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands, with no more offenses written out, the penalty for what we have done goes away as well. There are no more charges. Jesus has covered them all in his blood upon the cross. The cross provides salvation for us. Aren't, aren't you blessed this morning that the cross has provided you that salvation? But there's something else that goes on. The other thing that goes on here is that Satan and his followers are defeated. Notice as Paul writes on in verse 15. After he says, this is set aside, nailing it to the cross. The charges against us, they've been wiped clean. They've been nailed to the cross with Jesus he disarmed the rulers and authorities. While Jesus is upon the cross, there is a cosmic battle that is going on in the unseen world. See, there's more going on just than what we see and what we sense. There's a whole unseen world that is going on out there. And at the cross... This was a major battle between Satan and the forces of evil, the principalities and the powers of the air, and God, and Jesus is God upon the cross. And it says that Christ disarmed these rulers and authorities. Now, the word for disarmed means to completely strip, to completely take away. It's a word that's used for someone for disrobing, taking off all of your clothes until you're standing there naked. What Jesus does is he disarms our enemies. He disarms that entire spiritual force. He disarms Satan, he, dis he disarms all the forces of Satan, all the demons, the fallen angels, he is disarming them all. At the cross, he takes away every weapon that they have. They are all taken away from them. He disarms them. Notice what he says here. He disarmed the rulers and authorities 
and he put them to open shame. Now, it's hard for us to understand exactly all that's caught up in that term that he puts them to open shame. But in the unseen realm, what is happening here, Satan and his forces that have come up against God. You know, we've seen that so far, right? You know, we trace this battle, this blood feud last week through the scriptures. And we said that this blood feud has gone on. Well, now we've come to that decisive battle, which is at the cross. And at the cross, Jesus has just disarmed all the forces of evil, and he has revealed them for what they really are, as being evil and as being powerless against God. Remember how we began in this series. We made it clear that Satan is no match for God. God is omnipotent. Satan is not. Satan wants to be like God or be above God, but he can't get there. And the cross, at the cross, this is clearly revealed to everyone. See, the picture here is the picture of what happened when a Roman army had defeated one of its enemies. When a Roman general had won a victory, there would be a big celebration, a big parade in the city of Rome. So the general would come back, and he would come back with his armies that have won the victory, and they would march through the, the streets. And then they would be followed by all kinds of people celebrating. Just think of a giant parade. You know, think, think of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and how long it is and the celebration that it is. Or think about the Rose Bowl Parade, how beautiful it is and everything that's going on. There was a giant in the spiritual world. It's like there was a giant parade where Christ the victor comes into town and behind him walks all those evil forces that he has defeated. Even Satan. And he's announcing to all the victory has been won. And in those parades as well, they would carry through the streets of the city the spoils of war. That which has been reaped because the battle has been won. So in a picture, it's as if we are there with him, marching through the streets. Because this battle that's been going on from the garden, this battle is over man. Remember, only man is created in what? In the image of God. That's why Satan hates us so much. 
We are in the image of God. We have been made to commune with God. God has provided a way of salvation for us. You know, we're told in the New Testament that, that the good angels, you know, they look down and they're puzzled about this whole redemption story. That Christ would do all of this to redeem us. He would go to the cross so that we could be forgiven. And now what we're seeing is it has been finished upon the cross. Jesus shouted that out. It is finished. The price has been paid. The victory has been won. And now it's like in that spirit world, there's this great big parade that's going on. And Satan and his forces are put to complete and open shame. Christ has won the victory. The battle is over. Satan's head has been crushed. And so the question is then, why do we have so many problems with Satan? And if Satan has been disarmed, why do we struggle so much with our battles evil? Well, may I suggest to you it's because we don't put on the whole armor of God. And may I suggest to you that as believers in Christ, Satan no longer and his hordes of evil no longer have the, the weapons to use against believers in Christ that they have against those that are lost. There's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God comes to live inside us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. See, it's like Satan is a weaponless opponent who can only win over us with deceit and fear because his weapons have been taken away. There's no longer any condemnation for us. We are free in Christ. The Spirit of God lives inside of us to give us power to overcome sin. Do you catch that picture here? Well, you say then, how come Satan wrecks such havoc still in our world because for whatever God's purposes are, Satan has not yet been cast into his final resting place. We will look at that in the last message in this series, that Satan ultimately ends up in the lake of fire. But we are dealing today with an enemy, dear Christian friends, that is defeated. Now, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we're going to see this more clearly next week, because next week we're going to talk about the devices of Satan and how it is that he works. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Satan's goal is to keep you that way. Satan wants you to stay lost. He has power over those who are lost. 
So I say to you this morning, as I asked last week, don't you want to be on the winning team? It's like the battle's over, really. The decisive victory has occurred. There is no way that Satan can turn this around or Satan can win. His head has been crushed. So why would you refuse to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who is victorious, who can make you more than a conqueror? If you're lost, Satan wants to keep you that way. He wants to blind you to the gospel. If you're saved, Satan wants to keep you out of having an abundant life in relationship with your loving God. Now, the only things he can use against you Once again, is he can deceive you. He can cause you to fear. But he is defeated. If you are in Jesus, you are safe and secure in him. And you have a God who, when you mess up, is there forgiving toward you and wants to restore that fellowship. See, Satan, when he caused Adam and Eve to sin, thought he had won. But what did God do? He came down to meet Adam and Eve as he did every day to walk with them and to talk with them. And he provided a way for them. He gave them coverings, animal skins, to cover themselves and provided a way of salvation in the coming one from the seed of woman. Satan will tell you God's through with you. God, you're too messed up for God to bless you. None of that is true. Don't believe his lies. To help us understand what Satan's doing today, there's a story told by Stephen Davey of a missionary couple who lived in a small hut in Africa. One day, a 15-foot snake slithered into their little hut that they lived in. Uh, These missionaries were terrified. They didn't know how to take care of this unwelcome visitor. Uh, They did what probably most of us would do. They ran out of their hut. And they found one of the locals in the village. A local man picked up a machete, marched into the hut, and with one strong stroke of the weapon, he decapitated the head of the snake. The local then walked outside to the missionary couple and explained to them that they were going to have to stay out of their little hut for a little bit. Even though the head of the snake had been cut off, the snake didn't know it yet. He explained that the body of the snake would continue to move for some time until it finally recognized that it was dead. The couple ended up waiting outside their hut for over an hour. Sure enough, the body of the snake continued to bleed, writhe, and thrash about wildly 
destroying furniture in their hut and wrecking havoc. It's as if he wanted to cause as much damage as possible before the reality of being dead without a head had its full effect on the rest of its body. Satan has had his head crushed. He has been defeated. Satan knows his ultimate destination is the lake of fire. But he wants to take as many with him as he possibly can that are in the image of God. And he wants to wreak as much havoc as he can until that day. But friends, recognize this morning, we wrestle with a defeated opponent. Christ won the victory on the cross. And for that, we can all give praise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the scriptures. We thank you for what happened upon the cross for the victory that was won. We thank you for the new life that we have in Jesus. And Father, we pray this morning that each and every individual here will experience that life and know you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.